Welcome back to the Science of Feeding the World. Today we spoke to PhD student Harry Barrett about soil and veganism and all sorts of cool things like that. Did Harry talking about soil turn your science brain on a little bit, Harry? It did. Give me a... <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Cut. Enjoy the episode. I may have myself. You are listening to So, welcome to another episode of The Science of Feeding the World with me, Gary Froon. Hannah McGrath. Alex Dye. And today we are joined by soil scientist Harry Barrett. Hello. Harry, why should I give a damn about the soil? Why should you give a damn about the soil? Well, I give a damn about the soil because I find it very interesting, but soils are generally very amazing because of the fact that they produce most of our food, they cycle pretty much all of our water. Hang on. Go on. (laughs) Soils produce most of our food. Yeah, most of our food comes from soils. So the plants... I'm just imagining tucking into a bowl of soil for breakfast. How much do you love soil, Soil. Harry? I have put soil in my mouth before, so, you know... There is there is a technique of telling how the quality of the soil by popping it on your tongue. This is what Sherlock Holmes did, right? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can tell the pH of the soil, um, which tells you a little bit about how healthy it is, and you can tell a little bit about what's in there just by tasting it. But I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it because within soil uh, you didn't bring any with you. That's <laughs> I didn't bring any. We did a taste test. We could have done a taste. So you test. can taste whether a soil is acidic or not by putting it on your or. Alkaline, if you put it on. Yeah, so, so if it's, if, if uh, I mean, could I? I haven't done it enough to really be a connoisseur. That's <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can tell um, it kind of fizzes a little bit on your tongue in comparison. So if it's more acidic uh, and it um, coats your mouth a little bit if it's alkaline. And if you can kind of really pick out the organic humus taste, then it's neutral. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. The Science of Feeding the World podcast management team would like to announce that we do not condone the consumption, eating, ingestion, or chowing down of soil, soil particulates, soil matter, clay, sandy loams, or mud for educational, entertainment, or geopolitical purposes. Sorry. Did that answer your question of how is soil interesting? Why should we care? But, yeah. but I would say the most, for me, the thing that really catches it is the life underground. I think that's what people will find most interesting. There's a practical aspect of the fact that healthy soils providers with all the food and water we need great but they also there are amazing places like a quarter of the world's biodiversity sits within soil so a quarter of all life on earth is predicted to be within soils and they contain some really incredible things it's kind of a we call it a black box we don't really know what's underground so it is it's kind of one of these biological frontiers where we just know so little about what's going on underground and how they're interacting with each other it contains the largest organisms on earth. It contains the oldest, the most ancient, the most resilient. It's just this incredible ecosystem that is completely, it seems to, it's not featured on planet earth. It doesn't feature in documentaries much, but it's just this, I'm, Personally, this inc- I find it just the most incredible place. I think he's tearing up a little. I am. Campaign for a soil episode on a new David Attenborough. They do. I mean, Attenborough really needs to get... Well, given that it's got a quarter of the, the biodiversity, and I'm assuming that biodiversity is kind of uh, microbe 
types. Yes. Yes. A lot of it's tiny kind of invisible life, but that's not to say some of it's not larger. Like you get those huge fungal networks that connect trees together Mm. and they're kilometers large and you get things, yeah, things which would be considered, you know, tiny invisible life forms, microbes, um, but they're very interesting to look at under the microscope. Have you heard of moss piglets before or water bears? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tard- little- tardigrades. Just tardigrades, yeah. 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 Mm. No, they're, um, so they're incredible. And uh, there's lots of different examples of, of Hang things on, like I thought, that. are they in the soil? Is this, I'm really not yeah. sounding great today. So why does soil matter? What's a tardigrade? Um, I thought they were in water, so they're in soil. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're in soil. So, And I, I assume you've heard of the fact that they, they've, they've been recorded to survive the vacuum of space. Mm-hmm. What? Um, yeah. So- I did know that. Uh. <laughs> well, they've been recorded to, to survive the vacuum of space, and there's plenty of other stuff which are really hardy in soil. Because if you think of it um, kind of like a series of caverns that are continuously flooded and then dry out, then to live in a place like that, and the walls also can move and shift. I think of mm. it like kind of the stairs on Hogwarts, you know, they all shift and move depending on what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you're something living underground, you're not only living in these dark, damp cabins that occasionally completely flood, but things can suddenly go bursting through the walls that are going to try and eat you. And things set out traps and stuff. So you get fungi, which set out um, sticky traps to trap nematodes. Uh, They also have hook traps. So they're like a snare trap and they'll trap worms and then eat them alive. But the fungi? Yeah. Yeah. They set up traps in the ground. So there's lots of, (laughs) there's lots of amazing interactions that happen in the ground. That's um, awesome. The noise you just heard, listeners, was my jaw <laughs> dropping and hitting the table. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, um, soil is cool. And also, coincidentally, we're recording today on hashtag World Soil Day. Oh, yeah. Um, nice. Which obviously yeah. won't, when this podcast is released, it won't be World Soil Day, but. Is it embarrassing that I didn't know that? <laughs> Probably should Every day soil day. Every day is soil day for me. <laughs> I did have to get told about International Carrot Day, so don't worry. Um, wow. So obviously you've kind of explained to us why the soil is cool, but how are you studying the soil? How do I study the soil? Um, or what are you studying in soil? So, Or what am I studying in soil? Um, so, so far, a lot of the techniques to try and understand life underground are rather crude. Um, and we're trying to get better and better. Um, at, at, um, kind of designing tools that that can give us a, 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 a I suppose a higher resolution picture of what's going on. Um, I currently look at um, the gases that come from the soil, so greenhouse gases that come from the soil, um, and that is literally as crude as putting a box on the ground and putting a lid on the box and having that box fill up with gas and then seeing how much gas is coming from the soil. Um, that I also do um, to try to understand the life underground. Um, I use um, kind of molecular microbiology techniques. So things where you look at the DNA and the RNA to try and figure out what's going on. So how does that work? Uh, That works by, uh, you take a bit of soil, um, you uh, freeze it using liquid nitrogen. Um, (laughs) Playing with fun stuff, I like it. Um, and that's simply to kind of freeze everything in mm-hmm. stasis in time. Because if you didn't do that, then you take the soil, you know, back to the lab or whatever. And by the time you take it back to the lab, er- everything's kind of changed what it's doing because it's it's mm. no longer underground. Mm. The whole community, I guess, yes. what's there could be different to what it was in field conditions. Um, well, not necessarily the whole community, but kind of how they're signaling to each other. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're going about their day to day underground and then they're suddenly picked up. 
And before they have a chance to change what they're doing, you want to freeze them in time. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't do that, then they'd go, oh, we're being moved and picked up. And then they'd change all their signaling and what they're doing. So you wouldn't be able, to, you wouldn't actually be recording what they did at the point mm. what you're trying to look at. Yeah. Mm. So uh, how it works is you, you freeze the soil and then um, through, um, uh, kind of through chemistry, you get out the, the, the DNA and the RNA um, and that tells you a little bit about what they're doing. So the, the, the DNA um, tells you about what it is. So whether it's bacteria or archaea and how much of it or, or fungi, even how much is within that soil sample. Uh, and the RNA, the messenger RNA, I should say. If I'm mm. Do we need to jargon buzz at RNA, do you think? But yeah. Maybe messenger RNA. Just a sound what's messenger RNA? Sure. So uh, if you think of DNA like the ticker tape, that's the blueprint for the for the for the organism. Messenger RNA is the messages they send out from that kind of central mm -hmm. hub. So if they want to create a particular enzyme or protein to survive in their environment, they'll send out a little message to say, create that protein. And so that's what I'm looking at. I'm trying to intercept that message because it'll tell me about how they're reacting to the conditions they're under. Mm -hmm. So I've been out when you've been on Broadbalk. Yes, yeah. And you were talking about those big white boxes. Well, are they big? They're probably, what? 40 by 40. 40. Mm. Um, and you've dug them into the ground and then um, you've kind of been running. Would you like to explain why you like to run around the world's oldest long-term continuous agronomic yes. yeah. experiment? I'm good at making myself look like a fool. Um So I put these boxes on the ground and these are the boxes that fill up with gas. So there's in theory you put the box on the ground you put a lid on and they fill up with gas and if you take a sample just before you put the lid on and you take a sample after you put the lid on you can tell how much gas is coming from the ground and this is theoretically then the gas that would otherwise be going into the atmosphere correct and, okay. yeah yeah um but because it's all time related so um i have to take uh measurements at very specific time points so let's <laughs> say just as i put the lid on and 40 minutes after I put the lid on, um, I have to be very specific about when I take that measurement. So I've got a watch on and- uh, Can you also please describe the hand gesture you just did? Because again, I've been in the field and see you've done this, but you look like you were pumping a bicycle pump there. <laughs> okay, yeah. So to take the gas from the box, it's got basically a little valve um, and you um just like it's a syringe basically so you stick it in the in the valve and you take some gas and then you put a needle point on and you put it into like a little vial a sealed valve a vial um but to but to do that you need to pump the, the syringe <laughs> which Liz, Liz, look, he's still doing the hand gestures <laughs> which can look like something else um but anyway so yeah that means that basically means that i'm running around the field like a madman because one box over there has just finished its 40 minutes. So I need to go and take a sample. So I'm running over so I can take it on the 40th minute. And then another box will have a 40th minute somewhere else. So then I'm running over to that box and I need to take it. So dog walkers often, because I'm carrying a tray of gas vials and I'm running across the field and then I'm stopping and then I'm like doing, and then I'm waiting around and suddenly I'm like sprinting to the other side of the field. So it can look. Very odd. It's quite the workout, though. Yeah, yeah it's a good workout. It's so why do you choose 40 minutes? Because 40 minutes to me seems like quite a short period of time. Do you, like, is is that long enough to... Is that long enough to... Is 40 minutes long enough to capture differences between different soil types? Um, so 
40 minutes. Is... Having said that, clearly 40 minutes is enough because you're studying it. But like, <laughs> I mean, maybe I didn't think through it. Have you? you just read it. I'm going to have to redo it. Start again in March. Oh, no. Um, so we picked 40 minutes because that's the time it takes for the box to full up. Uh, and then kind of plateau. So if you if you did a longer time, let's say I chose two hours, then it would have leveled off with the amount of gas in the box. So I wouldn't know, um, I wouldn't necessarily know the flux. So a flux is how much is coming off per minute. And so to calculate that, I need, I don't know how to look <laughs> the science jargon here. I need it, I need the line to be linear. I need it to be... Um, constant constant yeah yeah so i need the gas to be continuous coming out so if you pick too long of a period it just fills up completely with gas and then i wouldn't know um how much of that flux is actually um uh, coming coming from the soil and kind of uh and if i pick too short of a time period then um i I, it's too much of a it's too small of a window so there's too much there could be massive variation so if it's just five minutes and all of a sudden i saw this big like a massive amount of gas gas fell out of the box. Um, that could be just because there's a little air hole in the box or something. Something's happened. But over forty minutes, that will kind of that will be a, a much smaller problem. So this isn't maybe the takeaway you were hoping I got from that. But we were discussing <laughs> these forty centimeter by forty centimeter boxes. It's a quite like a big Christmas present. Yes. Um, That's a good way of it. How does that fill up in forty minutes? How does such a what? Why is there that much gas coming out of the soil? So, like we discussed before, there's all this different life in the soil, and they all breathe. So they're all releasing CO two like we do when we exhale. Um, some use other things to breathe, but that's not important for now. Um, and so through doing that, there's a soil actually has a respiration rate, so you can measure how much CO two is coming off of it. And then you've got the plant in the boxes as well. And so obviously that plant um, is trying to take in CO2 um, and do its and, and live out its life. So when <laughs> when it's I'm trapping the plant in the box as well. So um, it tends to fill up just because there's all this life in the ground or there should be. If it's a really crap soil, then obviously there's not much life around. But that's that's why it fills up. That's pretty cool. That makes it sound, that could be quite confusing then because you say <clears throat> if there's not a lot of life around, it doesn't really fill up that much. Yes. Um, and if it fills up, that's the gases that are going into the atmosphere that we don't want to go into the atmosphere. So yes. is it better for there to be no life in the ground? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this, this is the thing, right? So when you're thinking about um, environmentalism and what's good, for, what's good for the planet, what's good mm-hmm. for us and things like that, Often healthy soils will actually have a slightly higher carbon footprint. They'll release more gases, mm-hmm. but that's because they're healthy. That's because they're chock a full of life. That's because they can give lots of nutrients to the plant. Um, and so there's this kind of way up here, which is that it's okay for the soil to have a slightly higher carbon footprint because they're giving us the food. They can cycle water better and so on and so forth. So it's all about weighing up um what the jargon term would be ecosystem services. So mm-hmm. what that mm-hmm. land can give to us. Um, so for soils, for instance, I am actually comparing organic with um, inorganic in terms of the greenhouse gas emissions. And so far we found that organic uh, agriculture on this field has mm-hmm. slightly higher emissions. Mm-hmm. And we'd expect that just because you're putting lots of carbon in there, you're putting lots of food in the soil, basically for the, 
for the soil life to eat and uh, break down. And so they're just going to, it's going to release more emissions. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the inorganic, you're literally just, you're putting pellets in the ground, which um, dissolve very, very quickly, are used up very, very quickly, but they don't tend to support lots and lots of life. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Yeah. So um, we spoke, we've, we've talked about your, your white boxes and your um, microbial communities. That's how you study it. Mm. Um, what are you specifically studying? So there's, um, I'm looking at... Or researching, a, sorry. Yes. Do you prefer studying or researching? I really don't. I mean, research is slightly fancier as a term, right? It suggests that it's going to be published somewhere in, <laughs> at some point along the line. Um, uh, so I look at, um, I'm actually looking very specifically at... Um, there's this, there's this thing that happens uh, that we call the birch effect. So another just piece of jargon, it just describes what's going on in the soil. Um, is this the soil hot flush? It's the soil hot flush. The hot moment. The hot is moment. moment. <laughs> I've renamed. Have- <laughs> While going through your post, I came across this term and decided to Google it. I do <laughs> oh, not, not recommend it. <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> Context um, is important. Yeah, know. yeah. So Gary's now banned from his work. Is that a fun conversation <laughs> yeah. to have with HR and IT? Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, why are you Googling hot moments? Uh, but, but then you think it comes down to you were studying what is the cause of a hot moment and yeah. uh, that I could not find the answer to so maybe you can elucidate. So um, I'm looking at how extreme weather events affect the, the carbon footprint of the soil, basically how much greenhouse gases come from the soil. And we found, and we've been knowing this since the 60s, mm-hmm. um, that if you have a very dry soil, so if there's been very dry conditions and there's been a drought followed by a storm, then you get this hot moment, you get this flush of gas that comes from the soil. Um, and the microbes do get very excited because the rains have come and they've been in a drought period for a long time. Um, unfortunately, uh, this has kind of sat on the shelf for a long period of time. We haven't really understood why this is the case. And in the light of climate change, we now know that there are going to be more droughts and there's, there's also going to be more flooding and rain. So there's there's going to be uh, basically more extreme weather events. We'd like to know a little more bit. More hot moments. More oh, hot yeah. moments to be had, <laughs> both in the soil and out. Um, <laughs> then uh, we would like to know, uh, you know, what's causing this? Because it may be that if we get more extreme weather events, then all of a sudden um, we, we're getting more greenhouse gas emissions from our agriculture because the soil is responding to these um, basically switches from being very dry to being very wet. So all my research is trying to understand why this is the case um, and uh, this why this why this effect occurs basically, and then what hopefully then what we can do about it if I ever get that far along the line. Mm-hmm. So it's almost one of those <clears throat> situations where um, because of climate change causing more of these hot moments because of drought and rain, heavier rain, um, that then makes, increases the emissions from the soil. And so it's almost like a, that then because there's more emissions increases climate change. Um, and then you get more hot moments. So it's almost like a positive a, feedback. Yeah. Runaway mm. train, vicious circle. So, um, I'm guessing it's quite important that it's one of those arguments for stopping climate change before it gets really bad if that makes sense yes i would say that i wouldn't put too much and this is me poo-pooing my research a bit but i would say that from the hot moments although they can be quite a lot of the emissions from soil overall when you're looking at kind of the the whole life cycle of our food production and things like that it's a relatively small um amount of co2 and other greenhouse gases that are coming from the soil 
So um, if I was a soil scientist, you asked me what kind of the worries with greenhouse gases coming from soil. It's not my research area, but for me, it'd be the melting of the permafrost and the release of methane from mm-hmm. kind of those those tundra-like areas. And all of a sudden, that soil basically thawing and um, releasing loads of gases. That's what I'd say would be a, slight, a bigger bigger concern. But you're right in to say that there is this positive feedback that, yeah. could, that could happen. So you talk spoke then about methane. You also work on nitrogen Nitrous oxide? No. Nitrous oxide. So not all gases are equal. Not all gases are equal. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So I look at the three, arguably the three top greenhouse gases. So we'd say CO2, we'd say methane, and we say nitrous oxide. And nitrous oxide is the one that no one has really ever heard of, typically. Except teenagers, according <laughs> to The Guardian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unless, of course, you love laughing gas. Or Crash Bandicoot. He's a character in Crash Bandicoot, isn't he? Is he? Yeah, really? Yeah, that, that's good as well as I'd hoped. Um, <laughs> someone yeah, at car- home's listening. At la- someone at home's listening. I really hope so. Someone at home's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> we'll edit that Where, where are my Crash Bandicoot fans? <laughs> <laughs> Represent. Sorry, Harry, carry on. <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah, so um, these gases um, come off the ground in different concentrations. So we measure CO2 in parts per million. So, you know, you get one in a million, for instance, would be one part per million. Um, and similarly for methane, we also measure in parts per million. Um, but for nitrous oxide, we measure in parts per billion. So it's it's much smaller amount coming from the ground. However, it's a much stronger greenhouse gas. Um, if we're looking over a kind of a hundred year time period, we'd say it's about 300 to 295 times more potent than mm-hmm. CO2. So it, it also it, has unique effects, I guess, in terms of its effect on uh, the ozone it compared does. to other gases. Yeah, correct. Yeah. 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 So it, it can break down ozone and cause a cascade effect mm. when the ozone breaks down yeah. as well. So originally, a lot of this research was concerned with ozone and less concerned with climate change. But as climate change has become much more part of the uh, agenda, it's become a bigger justification to, mm. look, at, to look at nitrous oxide mm. from the soil. So would you say that to, to dumb it down to my level, you're saying that though a smaller, a seemingly smaller amount of it is produced, the effect that small amount has is greater than X amount of other greenhouse gases. Yes. Yeah. I think a nice way of thinking about it is terms of kind of, um, if you think of it like alcohol, so spirits and beer. So you, you would only need 30 milliliters of spirit to give you, to get you just as drunk as kind of a pint of beer. So it's just, you know, it affects mm. even though there's a smaller amount of it, the effect is can be can be can be similar. Uh, I like your description. I was thinking about jumpers. Like carbon dioxide is putting one jumper on, and then nitrous oxide is like putting two hundred and something ninety five jumpers <laughs> per molecule. But I, I think your alcohol might have been <laughs> more fun. Jumpers, oh, is awesome. jumpers. <laughs> jumpers is a nice way of describing it. Again, I would say that um, it's still a very small part of kind of when we're thinking about climate change and the, and the, the budget. It's, it's an important part, but um, it's maybe responsible for something like 6 to 7% of the warming effect that we currently see. So mm. it, it's it's there. It's just there are bigger fish to fry mm. if you were looking, thinking about um, uh, taking a, tackling the, the biggest issues out there. Yeah. I have an itchy ear. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I, I wrote down hot moment climate change. Why N two O bad? N two O. N two O. Yeah. <laughs> See, I do occasion. I do kind of know some science. <laughs> 
So you don't need my questions. No. Is it worth then having a quick recap? Uh, if you're studying nitrous oxide uh, emissions from soil, uh, just a quick recap of like how, where that's even coming from, how that gets from the soil, why is it going into the soil, how it goes into the soil, what happens to it in the soil. Because I hadn't quite realised, I think until researching for this, that synthetic fertiliser that we throw on the ground isn't directly just taken up by plants. It has mm. to go through processes by microbes. I thought we would have applied it going, like we just want the plants to take, it, take, <laughs> it, take this, but we don't. We produce in such a way that microbes have to do things with that. Do you want to? Yeah, sure. So it's so just part of them. If we think about, if you go back to kind of your geography and things like that, and you think about those nitrogen cycles or water cycles or things like that mm. there's a bit of an arrow that goes through the soil and so things change and move about in soil because it, it again it's a living ecosystem so things munch on things things die etc etc so what we find is that when we chuck fertilizer on the ground um a lot of that um is cycled or used up by microbes they go oh there's something there and then they try and utilize or use it in some way um and plants also then also try and um, use up what we've thrown on the ground. Um, Which is what we want them to do because they're is, our crops, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and so um, what we find is um, is that if we apply too much on the ground, then you find that uh, microbes use it in a certain way or different ways than plants would. And um, most of the emissions we see from the soil is from the microbes using that fertilizer. So the N2O, okay. the nitrous oxide that's coming from the ground, um, and as well as the carbon dioxide and, and the methane is um, quite a lot of it is produced by the microbes using stuff that we that we apply. So, Harry, why is soil important? <laughs> <laughs> Again, now that you've had a chance to warm up, because I think I sprung it on you a bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, no, I, not what your answer was bad. I just, I melt. <laughs> like I, I sprung like <laughs> the biggest question you can possibly have as a soil scientist. <laughs> yeah. Tell me why soil is important. You've got two minutes. Go. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So why are soils important? Soils are important um, because they provide over 90% of all our food. So all the crops that we grow in the ground, um, their health is dependent on the health of the soil. Um, they also cycle pretty much all our water. So if you want to drink clean water and have food, then soils. I mean, they are on my day-to-day -to -day top top activity. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. They're on mine really. yeah. <laughs> um, So that's, that's kind of from a functional side of things that already makes them pretty important. And the other um, aspect of it is that they are really important carbon sinks. So they're very important for cycling all the... Um, essential nutrients for life, um, as well as for storing carbon. So they um, they become a big part of the equation when we're looking at trying to solve climate change and trying to take carbon out of the atmosphere. And then the part of it which I enjoy the most of is I find them important because they're interesting. So they've got enormous amounts of life within them. So they're not just, um, it's not just innate inert matter, but it's actually a whole living mm -hmm. ecosystem. So a quarter of all life on earth exists within soils. Um, and they contain some pretty amazing uh, microbes and uh, fungi and, and all that stuff. Oh, soil. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I was just going to say, if you're studying nitrous oxide and you said it's not kind of uh, the biggest of all the worries, what's the kind of, it's still obviously having some impact and mm. we need to, like if we can 
do some science that helps? What's the kind of vision for studying it? What do we need to do to manage it better, to reduce emissions? Mm. Is, the, is science able to kind of tell us some of those things? Um, so that's that's currently what a lot of the research is looking at is how do we manage the soils better so they can give us what we want, so mm-hmm. so that they can give us clean water and, and good food and, and things like that. We've got a few things that we're looking at that I would say that the soil scientists on a whole are looking at. One of them is um, kind of the the inorganic agriculture versus organic agriculture. So what happens when you apply poo and manure and things like that to the soil versus what happens when you um, apply very specific kind of pellet fertilizer Mm -hmm. that's only got what the plant plant needs. Um, And we're slowly starting to discover that um, a healthy soil is one that's got lots of carbon in and it's got actually lots of those um, uh, organic matter in, I would say. And and so we're realizing that there's different things we can do um, to help that. So um, conservation tillage or no till, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Those so that's basically just when a farmer doesn't plough. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now it's not suitable for all land types. There's loads of caveats to it. Um, but in general, we found that um, if you uh, reduce the amount that you turn the soil over, you get a greater buildup of organic matter. Um, but one of the really cool things is it changes how the soil looks. So all the different caverns and tunnels and networks um, they change over time over decades in fact so we still see changes after 20 years or 30 years um, and they become more and more um, um, complex and integrated mm. so if you just think of um, if you think of a, a road map with more and more roads on and more and more main arteries and then places where people can go so we found that um, life finds it much easier to move around in that soil so things are cycled better it's time for the rapid fire questions it's time to Okay. So many questions, so little time. Harry, ocean or river? river. Quick answer. River. Good one. Queen or the Smiths? <sighs> Queen. Good choice. Do you know who the Smiths are? Because I'm not entirely <laughs> sure I do. Let's not get into that. <laughs> Soil invertebrates or microorganisms? Oh, you can't make me choose. That's like choosing <laughs> to my children. Um, <sighs> microorganisms. Oh, good choice. Are you sure? There's just, comparatively, there's just so much more interest in abundance. Controversial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Summer or winter? Um, I prefer autumn, but that's not a choice, is it? No. <laughs> uh, oh, summer. Me or Gary? Um, <laughs> Gary. <laughs> That'll do, that's the end of that <laughs> Invited keynote speaker at the International Soil Science Conference or chatting about your work to random people you're sat next to on the train? Uh, definitely the train one. That's, yeah, good choice. A pint of bitter or glass of wine? Oh, again, horses for courses. It depends what's going on in my life. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> I'll go with a, a pint of bitter. Nitrogen fixing legumes or carbon assimilating fungi? Legumes, I love. I love a good legume. <laughs> last film that made you cry? Um, oh, last film made me cry. It's deep. This one, deep. I teared up a little bit in Joker. Like I had a uh, some misty eyes. Oh sure. In Joker. Mm. Um, so I get. Does that does that one count? Well, yeah. I still am on the last <laughs> film that made me cry was Downton Abbey. So at least the Joker isn't. <laughs> <laughs> street cred destroying. <laughs> also, street cred do people really? I'm just, just going to shut up. <laughs> I'm sure your street cred's still intact. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm putting a bag of whole roasted crickets on the table. Do some, do some ASMR. Wow. That's nice. Whole roasted crickets. Are we about to engage in entomophagy? Entomo? Is that it? Is that the right? <laughs> oh, can we please, can we put an explosion yeah, sound? Yeah, and I want an What's echo. I want to sound like... <laughs> entomophagy. There's <laughs> <laughs> a reverb on that. <laughs> so, um... One of the things I don't think we spoke I, last time. So Harry and I have now been to a couple of work-related events. Um, you're a vegan. I am vegan, um, and I the site that I work at is a livestock research site. So it tends to um, there's there's often a lot of hot debate um, <laughs> in the cafeteria around this. Um, I am vegan, and I'm fine eating insects um, because. Um, from the ethics side of things, uh, or maybe this might be a bit too jargony, but uh, morality is about um, the lives of conscious creatures, humans included. Mm. Um, and so good actions reduce suffering, bad actions increase suffering. So in my life, I want to do things that are good, so decrease suffering. And uh, therefore, it seems natural for me to have a diet that tries to minimise suffering as much as possible in the lives of conscious creatures. And crickets... You're assuming through their biological simplicity that they experience a lesser range of phenomenological experiences. Oh, go. that's a big jump, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can, there are some neuroscientists right now. I think you're probably right, to be honest. I, well, yeah, I, yeah. I, honestly, I don't know because it's not my field of expertise. <laughs> this, this, this is, yeah, this is yeah. a bit where science of feeding the world has moved from the science perhaps more into our opinions about feeding the world I think it's all very much of, still under yeah yeah we're in the science of consciousness now yes. yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and quite. you can get everything from panpsychism where everything has some level of consciousness mm. that then builds up to a greater emergence <laughs> level like humans um, or you can get the fact that you require big complex brains to mm-hmm. experience and feel um, either way it seems to be that um, crickets and insects don't respond to pain and um, what we'd think as negative stimuli in the same way that um bigger creatures do mammals mm. and things like that respond to it um but i'm agnostic on it i'm open if we suddenly figure out oh, that yeah. they suffer horrendously that i won't be eating insects <laughs> so yeah that's, and i'll be out of the job yeah. <laughs> science will be uh, monumentally screwed yeah. okay should we, should, are they, they flavoured uh, no, these are just as the cricket flavored. Whole roasted cricket. Right. I want to do like a um, an M and S. Where did voice. you get like, them? Uh, in M and S. No. <laughs> <laughs> so should we? Um... Let's chow down. Okay, let's do it. So, I mean, so it's, do the uh, how is the environmental footprint of crickets? So these <laughs> have been product of Thailand, but they because these aren't fresh. Things like apples, they get sent over in these big cold stores. Mm. like really cold on the boats and then when they get here they're put into these big probably like um like the size of three kind of garages that like big spaces and they're kind of ripened and they either release gases to ripen them or they warm up the temperature specifically if you ever Mm. go to a um fruit packing facility like i have um i live the dream um they're really cold (laughs) places because Mm. they ripen the fruit by temperature at certain times um so these would probably have been sent on a container ship so it's not like refrigerated or anything. Yeah. Less energy. Mm. <laughs> oh God. Hannah has just recoiled at the smell after opening the bag. <laughs> so, it bodes well for all of us. 
<laughs> I think it's more that I ate one of these the other day and I, I won't lie, it wasn't my favourite food to eat, but we'll just... Okay, okay, they're being tipped onto the table. I mean, there's loads That of one's them. still got its uh, repository attached. Oh, definitely. Okay, I'm going to take two of them just to get... It's got a free experience. toothpick with it. I mean, if you want more, I mean, we've got... Probably 95 grams of them here. Okay. Just down the hatch. <laughs> Let me get my water out. Just say what species Water's this cheating, is. isn't it? Yeah, Come water on. is cheating, Hannah. You're not allowed water. You don't have cricket chasers. <laughs> have you not watched I'm a Celebrity? Hang on, let me just get the Tic Tacs too. <laughs> Today we are eating a Kita Domesticus. Put a few of the crickets into Tic Tac, right? We'll be fine. <laughs> just, just for later. Okay. okay. I really... It's okay. But the thing, but so maybe before we eat, just to amp the tension up, why do I feel so bad about eating this, but I'm quite happy eating like a lamb carcass? In what you know, way, like if you were to. In you know, what like way a, do you feel bad? Like, I don't morally? know. I, I, so you give me like a spit roast pig or something, mm. I clearly can see it's the animal or like a roast chicken. I can, you know, you can see the animal. But I don't feel bad about eating it. Do you mean you mean yeah, you mean ethically then? You've, yeah, you've, yeah, but this this feels wrong, does it? That's, yeah. that's interesting because I think I think most yeah. people it's it's uh, that's gross. I don't want to eat that because that's a, an insect, that's a bug, mm. that's whatever. I don't think a lot of people would think, oh, I don't want to eat that because that's a cute little thing, you know, mm. fluffy. Yeah, yeah. But well, I've I've had so we had the crackers as well, and I was fine with the crackers. Yeah, mm. I've had cricket chips before, and I like yeah, those. biscuits. Mm. But this is... It's a level of disgust, I think. The ick factor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think, okay. I think there's, there's, there's good arguments, I think, for crickets and, and, and entomophagy in general, because, as, and correct me if I'm wrong, if anyone knows, mm. but I think because of the conditions they can be reared and then obviously the size of them, you can farm them a lot more, like a lot more oh, of I, them in higher numbers. And yeah. I think the protein output is generally higher well, these than are the meat. 60... 7.8 grams of protein per 100 grams. That's pretty good. But as a livestock scientist, we say, what's their amino acid profile? So what is oh, okay. the, the type mm. of protein that's that's in there? But that's okay. the, that's the really important thing. And that's one of the arguments against things like plant protein, because it it's what that protein yeah. consists of that's important. So I, I don't actually know for crickets, no, but there will be probably some papers out there which will tell you mm. the breakdown. Of- okay. Right, we- are you, were you about to hold that to like cheers? Like, <laughs> cheers, the crickets. Cheers. cheers. Oh, oh my God, they're I like head so, I'm sorry, cricket. Mm. Wood dust. Would be wood dust. Wood. With a tiny bit. It's got a little bit more flavour than wood dust. Ah. Having, having eaten wood dust. Yeah. <laughs> 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 wood dust is kind of so, well, I'm the one who eats well, soil there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. It tastes okay. like dog food smells. No. It, they remind me of like McCoy's ready salted or something like that. That's but, a diss. <laughs> <laughs> Come out as McCoy's. I really like that. I really like McCoy's and I like these. So this is actually a compliment. You can get ones that are sort of... Um, Chili, chili or peppered sort okay. of crickets or locusts. Oh, look, he's going for the water now, Alex. I quite like them. Can I have some more? I've had like, I've had like six. <laughs> <laughs> they are dry. I think that's the biggest. They are quite thing. dry. You know, there is an, there's have. another part of this, which is that you could feed insect protein to other animals. Mm. So a lot of, for example, a lot of chickens eat wheat. So we grow enormous amounts of wheat in this country. Mouthful. 
Oi. Oh. Oh, no. He started strong and then his face just wobbled a little bit. It's all right. I'm pushing myself. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, no. That's very insane to watch. Um, the, uh, so for, Shame we're a podcast. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Rest assured, we're enjoying it. Um, yeah, so you could, you, instead of for human consumption, if people didn't want to didn't eat them or have mouthfuls of them, uh, you could feed them to things like chickens. And if they have a really good, um, if they have lots of protein and stuff, it would, and you can grow them in a condensed manner, then mm. it would stop us having to use so much land to grow food that could go to people like wheat and things like mm. that. Yeah, and I think I think that's also the same way as they make because they they make it with the cricket flour, don't they? So mm. They sort of grind them up, and they, that's what they used to make them biscuits. These sort of novelty cricket biscuits, which I think are if you don't like eating them whole because it's a cricket, yeah, they were absolutely say, fine. Then a little, in a little biscuit form, totally different thing. Yeah, you know, just just removes that element of. Does that mean? I guess if this did pick up going forward, that we would start to do selective breeding on them the same way we have done with crops and cows, tastier crickets, to bigger, tastier, yeah, more nutritious, nutritious, yeah, things. things. Yeah, I have a friend who's studying um, the black soldier fly in terms of its ability as a um, a superfood, as a you know, a food product, protein, and I think by feeding and this this is going to be completely wrong, probably. But he's feeding them different um, protein mixes, sort of like strawberry and chocolate ones. So you can get <laughs> strawberry and chocolate flavoured soldier fly larvae. They basically. taste like what they eat, that you are what so. you eat. Yeah. <laughs> so they sort of retain, yeah, if it's, I think, yeah, yeah. while it's still in their gut. They I'm just going to close flavored. this bag because to me, this is what That's dog food smells like. <laughs> but not dog food, but like the dog kibble. Yeah. You know, like yeah, the. It is kind of like that, which I've always wanted to try. In- <laughs> really? next one next episode <laughs> dog food I think it's all made with food that's fit for human consumption it? it doesn't taste that I, th- I know someone who has eaten it like they have- for a thing I mean, my brother's yeah. eaten dog food yeah in the 90s I imagine it was not as good back then. <laughs> as, a, as a trick or treat as children we used to have our trick as uh, dog food mm, wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> and it led to a lot. It was a gateway food for dirt eating. Yeah, apparently, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> if you want to know how to create a soil scientist? Yeah. Raise them on dog food. Jerry says this. Hannah says that. What does Hannah say? I've really been enjoying this chat. But I think we should move on to the next session now. Thanks. Yes. So we like to finish on a game called the Thing Explainer which is this piece of paper, which has the most common 1,000 words in the English language, with which you have to construct a sentence uh, which describes your science. He's done it, he's done it before. <laughs> this is going to be a really quick second. Um, but, but <laughs> About before, a year and a half ago. But <laughs> before you do it, you figure out what you want to say, and then we will um, we'll say what we think you work on too. Okay. So see if we're yeah. see if we're as good as describing. See if we're as so good as describing. Make a sentence and not say it out loud. Yeah. Then we will have a quick go. Yeah, we'll say it. So okay. Uh, okay. I mean, I can't. I can't find something to represent dirt here. Mud. Mud. Oh, mud it's dirt, mud. I don't know. I don't think it is. No, it's not stuff really in ground. Floor. Stuff. Yeah, Floor. stuff is always there if you need be. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the third or fourth time it's appeared in someone's. Thing. Mm, nice. Underground? That sounds like this. Are you writing your thesis over there, Harry? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to use this for the next paper, right? I'm just going to do <laughs> this is the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think I've got it. Okay. 
did we get our our sentences? Everyone, everyone got a so sentence. We each now have a sentence, uh, Alex, okay. Hannah, and I, that we think <clears throat> describes our understanding of your science using only the most common one thousand words, and then you have your sentence. Okay. Let's compare notes. Shall we go with the ours first? Let's, I'll, I won't we, go first. Ha- Harry, you do yours first. And okay. Then we'll go. I study stuff underground to see if it makes bad air. Oh, Ooh. okay. That's, That's good. good. I got I got troubly air from outside floors. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a poem. It's like the <laughs> I've got looking at underground stuff for fun and for food. That's very nice. I got search for bad air in ground. Nice. There you go. Yeah, we. I think we got it. I think you've. It's not bad. Yeah. I completely forgot the whole conversation about greenhouse gases, though. So, podcast gold. <laughs> and on that note, let's finish with this episode of the Science of Feeding the World from me, Gary Froon, Hannah McGrath, Alex Dye, and today, Harry, Harry Barrett. Barrett. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure all of us are in agreement, without a shadow of a doubt, you have been the fourth guest on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> How very you natural of you. You are in the top four podcast guests we've, we've ever had. interviewed. Yeah. Uh, not, not, yeah. not bronze, though. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Science of Feeding the World podcast. We would like it very much if you would like, subscribe and share. And if you want to get in touch, you can get us on Twitter at SFDW Podcast. Or if you just search for the Science of Feeding the World on Instagram or Facebook, you'll get us there as well.